right. So if you open your Bibles, if you will, to Romans chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 14 today. Let me uh, give you a little bit of, of, of a forewarning here. If you are of, uh, there, are, there are Christians who struggle with um, more black and white thinking, right? And so let me, let, me, let me address that. This passage that we're getting ready to look at is Paul talking about himself, okay? But he's, there's been a theological question through history. Is he talking about himself before he was a Christian or after he was a Christian? And why does that make a difference? It makes a huge difference, and here's why. Because for some people, what Paul's about to talk about, like what's going on on the inside of his life, what he's going to share, is uncomfortable for them because Paul's going to talk about a sin battle that he has, and he's not winning the battle. And for some people, they're uncomfortable with that because they're like, he wrote a third of the New Testament. Shouldn't he be this holy saint that's beyond reproach? Well, no, because he's a person. And one of the things that we recognize is that our spiritual life doesn't always just go up into the right. It's not always victory. It's not always more faith being produced. Sometimes we go through seasons that are hard. And so we're going to zero in on that this morning. Like, what does it look like for us to go through a season that's very difficult? Well, last week, we talked about the fact that some of the reasons why we go through difficult seasons are because we have some of the wrong rules that we pay attention to. We'll go ahead and put this up here. Everyone operates with a set of rules. Now, if this is your first time at Grace and you haven't heard this before, uh, this is not about whether you're religious or not, because this is just humanity as a whole. Everyone operates with a set of operating rules, right? These are things that at one point we said, yes, this is an adaptive strategy that I'm going to use to make my life work. Whether that was I'll become a materialist because money's the most important thing. Uh, whether it's I'll never give my heart away because I've been hurt before, so I need to be self-protectionist. Whatever it is, everyone operates with a set of rules. Now, these rules were once out here, now they're in here. And for many of us, we don't even recognize the rules anymore because they're just who we are. They are not who you are. You are not who you are. You are who you are becoming. Let me say it again. You are not just who you are right now. You are who you are becoming, what God is doing inside of you. So everyone has rules. The question is, are they the right rules? Maybe this is the season for you right now to re-examine the rules that you just think, this is just who I am right now, and go, no, 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 some of these things are outdated rules that I don't need anymore. They're actually been harmful to our lives. And so we've actually talked about the idea that for some people that we know, man, some of these folks, their life is just filled with drama nonstop. It's always, how are you doing? Oh, things are terrible. Everything's falling apart. Other people are the problem. I'm never, just all that kind of stuff, right? They've got some rules that they have in their life that are leading to these outcomes in their lives. And then we talked about, well, if you have the right rules, are you applying them correctly? And so we looked at the Bible, and we said, all right, the Bible's got all kinds of rules in it, specifically like the Mosaic Law, the Old Testament Law. How does that work in our life today? And one of the things that we said was this, that the law has one overarching purpose. It is not to comfort us, it is to convict us. It is to hold itself up as a mirror to us and to show you can't follow these rules, you're not good enough. And none of us have been, none of us are right now, no one has ever fulfilled that law except for Jesus himself. But that was because he had an interesting makeup himself. He was not just man, he was God as well. And so it was his divinity that helped him to do that. And so you and I, it's beyond our capacity to be able to do so. So what's the point of that? To show us that we need a savior, a rescuer, someone who will come in and be perfect for us. And that's not ever going to be me. That's not ever going to be you. It's going to be Jesus. And as Jesus applies his perfection to us, it opens up heaven and eternity and joy and also blessing in this life, which we're going to talk about. We also said that are you applying the, the, the rules right? Well, if you're applying them to your salvation and someone comes to you, listen, if you're not religious, someone comes to you and says, hey, you have to do this moral thing or you have to do that moral thing and then God will love you. You need to know that that's completely not what the Bible teaches. 
The Bible doesn't teach, do this thing and get your life right, and then God will love you. The Bible teaches us, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. It's not even about what you do. It's about what he's done, and that is he sent Jesus into your life. And all it is up to you to do is simply to receive that. To say, I want that. I want the blessings that come along with that. I want the joy of being in a relationship with Father. And we do that. So, so when it comes to salvation, these rules, they don't apply at all. But when it comes to your sanctification, which it comes to your spiritual life, your spiritual growth, they apply a lot because they're boundaries. And these boundaries give us uh, safety and security. They allow us to be able to live within a context that makes us whole. This is why some of your friends are falling apart right now, because they've lived outside the boundaries. And when you live outside the boundaries, as we're going to talk about today, as you live outside the boundaries, what happens is you're outside the protection of God. And it's not that God's angry with you or whatever, but it's just natural consequences. So let's get to it. Paul is describing his life, and it's kind of a mess at this point. And I, I love it, I, to be honest with you. I really do. I love that, that the Bible is honest. It's not a weird book of psychology where everything's going to be perfect. It is a book that is messy and describes the life experience that many of us have had. Verse 14 says this, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Verse 15, I do not understand what I do sometimes. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. Verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. All right, let's take a look at this. Let's go back to verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, and then this is Apostle Paul, right? This guy wrote three, you know, a third of the New Testament, right? But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. So when he looks at his life right now, he examines a couple things. Number one, he says this, the law is spiritual. Well, let's describe or define right now what the word spiritual means. Because for us today, spiritual can mean anything, right? It can be following a Buddhistic pact, right? It could be yoga is spiritual. We use the word spiritual generically. The Bible uses it specifically. And the word spiritual in the Bible means like the character of God. We know that the law is like God. But he says, I, Paul, am not like God. In fact, so much not like God sometimes that it feels like I've been sold as a slave. A sold as a slave to what? Sold as a slave to sin. Like, it's almost as if sometimes in my life, like I don't even own my life anymore, but somehow somebody sold me into slavery, and my slavery is one dedicated, and the master is sin. And so for him, he feels overwhelmed right now by his sin. And there's some encouragement coming to you this morning, verse 15. It says this, I, I, listen, I'm looking at my life, I don't understand what I do. In other words, he's looking at his motivations for why he does what he does, and he's like, I don't get the motivations. I'm not sure at this point in my life I have access to all the reasons why I'm behaving the way that I'm behaving. Why? Because I, the things that I want to do, I just don't do them. Like, there's goals that I have that I've set out before me, right? And I'm like, I want to do these things, and I want this to be the kind of character I have, and I want to be this person. And he's like, I just don't do them. How many times have you set out goals? And you said, these are the really important things in my life. And then for some reason, they just get pushed to the side and crowded out, right? And then he says, if that's not, not, not enough, I'm not only doing the things that I, I, I'm not only not doing the things that I want to do, but I'm also doing the things that I hate. I do the things that I hate. I don't love that. So, so I'm not doing the things that I want to do, and now I'm doing things, that, this is even worse, that I don't love. In fact, that I hate, that I despise, that, that are no good. And then he finishes it with this. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. So there's clear right here that Paul is in a state of confusion about his spiritual life. 
But one of the challenges with this spiritual confusion for him is he doesn't quite know what to do with it. And so he comes to this conclusion. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Now that sentence, let's just say it out loud, verse 16 doesn't make any sense at all. Like it just, it just, it just does. You're like, that's the Bible, Mike. Stop. Okay, listen, it, does, it just doesn't make sense when you first read it. Here's why. If you looked at verse 16 and we were writing this, especially with the second clause, I agree that the law is good, the first part of it should say something like this. When I'm obeying and doing what is right, I agree that the law is good. That's what it should say. But for some reason he says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Last week, we learned a very, very practical thing about our spiritual life. And it was this. If we want to grow spiritually, we have to look at what the Bible teaches us because the law is spiritual and we are unspiritual. The law is like God, and sometimes we are not like God. And because of that, what we need to do is we need to look at the Bible. We need to look at the scriptures, the law, the scriptures, all the rules, all the, all the, all the, all the rules that we live by, right? We look at that, and then we compare it to our life. And when we find that it matches up, for example, it could say something like this. It could, you could feel to yourself like, I have a rule right now, and the rule is I need to get better at telling the truth. And then you look in the Bible, and it says, don't lie. In other words, positively stated, tell the truth. And if I look at that, I go, wow, these two things match up with each other. This is the goal. Now I'm going to conform my life to this because this is the goal. But, but watch this. If someone, you yourself or someone else, has expectations on your life, and then you compare those expectations to what the Bible teaches, and they don't match up, you can throw those away. But the whole growth process, the whole process of spiritual maturity is looking at ourselves and then looking at God, looking at ourselves and looking at God, looking at ourselves and looking at the Bible, right? And then here's what he's doing right here. He's going, look, I'm looking at myself right now. I don't understand it. I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing the things that I hate to do. And then he comes up with this random weird summary. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. What does he mean by that? Well, let me show you by two hypotheticals. For example, there's two different people, right? And they have one problem. It's the same problem. It's the same sin. One of the things that I love about what Paul does right here is he doesn't define what his sin is. It's not because he's ashamed of it. It's not because he doesn't want to be real. But I believe that this is left to us by the providence of God so that you can fill in your sin. I don't understand what to do about my lust, my fears, my overwhelming anxieties, my anger problem, my drinking problem, my drug problem, whatever it is. I don't understand what to do. For I'm doing what I don't want to do anymore. In other words, th there's an addiction quality to what he's saying right now. I'm like attached to this thing too intensely. It seems now to have a hold of me where now I'm not free to run my life. I've actually been sold as a slave to sin. And some people in the room know exactly what that's like. And so he says, he says but, but watch this. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. This is what he's saying when he says that. And this is why it makes sense. He's saying, my life's a mess, but when I look at the law, I still, even though my life doesn't match up with it, I still agree that it's good. In other words, he said, that's the target that I should be shooting for, but that's not where I'm at right now. Paul's describing a season of brokenness. You've got two people, and they have the same problem, but they have very different outcomes. One is blessed, and the other is not. One is in rebellion against God, and one is working out their salvation, fear, and troubling. So let's take it. So this first person uh, is a person who knows what the Bible teaches and says, yeah, I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. But along the way, they've adapted to their circumstances by telling themselves lies. You know, let's take something as, as, as innocuous as um, cheating on your taxes, right? 
And so what we have as human beings is the great capacity for self-deception and rationalization. We have a great capacity for self-deception and rationalization. Rationalizations are the reasons. So self-deception is a lie that we believe continually. Rationalizations are the reasons why we believe the lie and the rationalizations continue the lie in our life. All right? So what happens is this person, this first person who's, who's trying to figure this out, right? She or he, they're just lying to themselves. They're lying to themselves over and over and over again. Man, I, you know, it's tax time. I, you know, I'm just going to fudge a little bit on my, on, it's not a big deal. I mean, don't look at me like that. Like, it's not a big deal. I'm just going to say I made a little bit less so I can pay a little bit less. Until everybody does it. You know what? You know what? I don't like what the government's doing with my money anyway, so this is probably a better decision anyway. They get less money to do foolish things with it, and as a result, I'm better off, and so are they. You know, and, that, and so it's a rationalization. But you know, like if you stop and look right now in your life, whatever your version of that is, and if you were really to look at the deepest parts of who you are, the truest self, you would know that that's a lie. And the rationalization is perpetuating the lie in your life. So here's what I want to challenge you with. Repent of your sins, friends. Repent of your sins. Ask the Lord for forgiveness. Because you're lying to yourself. And in the middle of a lie, you can't build a life. Because you can't build a life on a lie. And it's harming you. But here's, 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 here's what I just, I, this prediction. Even worse than that, you now live outside the boundaries of God's protection. And because you live outside the bounds of God's protection and his provision, consequences are coming for you. That's not a threat. You go, hold on. So is that just because God hates me? Like he's mad at me? Like is this just God pounding me? No, no, no. Listen, listen. Let's just take something else for a second because that feels personal. Let's just put it over here for a second. We're going to come right back to it, all right? But imagine this. Imagine that you know somebody else who just, they're a decent person, they're a follower of Jesus, but for some reason in the moment something happens and they snap, they get angry, and they slap somebody, and that person trips, falls, hits their head on the ground, and dies. You need to know that person's still going to heaven. They did something stupid in the moment and was terrible. There was, an out, there was an awful outcome. But the law doesn't change the fact that that person's going to heaven because Jesus died for their sins regardless of that or whatever it was. But they still have to go to jail. There are consequences that come from choices we make. And so I ask you again, repent. Repent. Because now you live outside of the boundaries of God's protection and his provision because he's a good father and he loves you. But here's what good fathers do. If, if my sons are out of, I can't do it with my daughter, but if my sons are, 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 are out of control or, or out of boundaries, like when they were young, I'd pop them on the butt. You know, not my ter- like you know my background, so I'm very sensitive to that stuff. But I pop them on the bottom. Hey, it's not what we do. Not who we are. And they would, you know, or I'd put them in time out. And I would make them uncomfortable for a moment so that they could grow up and be godly men. Our Father in Heaven is a good Father too, and He will let you suffer. Not because He's mad at you, because He has bad heart towards you, or because He feels anything negative towards you. In fact, He loves you. And He does not want you to walk in the ways of wickedness. So repent of your sins right now.
don't rationalize on, but, but, but Pastor Mike, you don't understand. I'm in, a, I'm in a relationship right now. I just always wanted to be loved. The kind of love that will really last a lifetime is the kind of love that honors the boundaries that God has established for your heart. You don't need to accept less. God is with you. Repent of your sins. Two people have the same problem. This other person, the first one is in rebellion. Why? Because they're rationalizing their sins away. They're taking the scriptures and saying, no, it's not what it really means. It could possibly mean this if you look in the Masoretic text. You know, but, 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 but here, here, you're different. This other person, same sin they could be struggling with, but this other person, not the same situation. They're like Paul. They're like, I don't know what's going on right now. This is not me. It's not who I want to be. This is not permission to go out and do something wrong. This is Paul saying, I don't know how to fix this right now because I don't even understand what I do right now. But I agree that the law is good. He's never given up. You've not given up. You're like, yes, I know that my life is off track right now, but I believe what God teaches is right. And I want to encourage you right now. If that's true for you, your outcome is very different than the first person. You're not in rebellion. You're trying to figure it out. And so what you need is something so different. Repentance may be part of the process for you as well. But you need to be reminded that our Father in heaven loves you unconditionally that you don't have to walk around because this is, your, this is your challenge. You're walking around right now with great shame in your heart. You're thinking to yourself, I suck. I mean, God died for me and I'm doing this. Your father has not given up on you. Jesus walks with you as a brother. The spirit walks next to you. Still to this moment. Don't give up. When you fall down, get back up. When you fall down, get back up. Because it's not about you, it's about your surrender. So make yourself a person that says, God, I don't know how to do this, but here's what I'll do. I just, every day I'll get up and present myself to you. And I'll say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. And eventually, this will not be the story of your life. The Lord will show up because when we show up, God shows up. When I surrender myself to him, he says, I will fill that space. When I give him my deepest weaknesses, he says, I will make your weaknesses strong because my power is made perfect in your weakness. It's not your strength that he desires. It is your weakness so he can come into those places and make you whole. I need you to get this because I don't want you walking around feeling like you have to live in shame. But it is the natural consequence of living outside the boundaries of God. So come back. Dial in. And God will meet you. Verse 17 says it like this. As it is, Paul talking, it's, it's no longer myself who do this. Like, I, like I'm not even, it, he, I don't even feel like I'm in control, but it's sin living in me. This is such an insightful thing that Paul says right here. Because he's describing something alien inside of him. But something, watch this, this is so important. Look up here. He's describing something alien in him. You and I, we've become so familiar with sin living in us, it doesn't feel alien anymore. It feels like it's part of who we are. Sin is living in us, and it has a natural effect. Let's take a look at it. I love this because he's showing us what's going on on the inside of us. This will explain some of the people in your life. This will explain some of the reasons why we fall short sometimes. 
So to do that, we're going to look at the book of Galatians, chapter 5. He's, this is Paul, the same writer, addressing this from a different perspective, but similar. This is what he says. So I say, walk by the Holy Spirit. This is his instruction to you, whether you fall in the first category or the second one. So I say to you, walk by the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, so look at the word here, walk. This is what he means by it. When you live your life with God, and this is why we talk about taking our next steps toward Christ, I don't believe in spiritual stagnation. There's no such thing. You're going backwards in your spiritual life or forwards, period. You are always in motion. So he says here, so I say, walk with the Holy Spirit. When I get up in the mornings, I start thinking about the Lord. When I do my breakfast and I do my workout and I live my life, I'm thinking about the Lord all day long. This is what Paul also meant when he said pray unceasingly, constantly, have him in your mind. And when I put my head down at night, I thank him or I ask for help in certain circumstances. You walk with God. He is always with you. There's not a time where I say, hey, Lord, can you stay over here while I go over here? There's not a time when we say, God, I need you to stay put right here so I can do these things over here where you're not allowed to be. Paul says, I want you to walk by the Holy Spirit. And and, and there's an outcome. There's an outcome, a different outcome. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Desires of the flesh that that are described in the Bible are things like sexual immorality, pridefulness of heart. And, and as we think through these things, basically what he's saying is, if I, think, if I, as a Christian, if I'm walking by the Holy Spirit, then the outcome of my life will be that I will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, I'm not going to be a person who's dominated by these things, a slave sold into sin. But instead, I get to rule my life because Jesus is at the center of it. So, so we look at it, and verse 17 says this, for the flesh, the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, right? For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, verse 18. But if you're led by the Holy Spirit, you're not under the law. So look at this. The first thing I want you to see up here, flesh, this thing inside of us, it produces desires. Did you catch that? There's a part of you, part of Paul, part of all of us who are Christians. If you're not a Christian, this part doesn't apply to you because all you can do is live out of the flesh. That's all you are. And that's not to diminish you because I was there. I'm just saying this is where we are. For the flesh produces desires inside of you. So there's one part of your heart, we can consider it one part of us, that's actually manufacturing desire. It's not me. Like, I don't desire that. That's what Paul meant when he's like, it's not me who does it anymore, but it is this flesh inside of me that is manufacturing desires that are contrary to the Holy Spirit. That's God. And the Holy Spirit, God, what is contrary to the flesh. So I have two things that war inside my heart. Have you ever wondered why sometimes when you're faced with a moral decision, you're like, hmm. I mean, even in cartoons, they pop the angel and the devil, right? And it's describing what's happening on the inside of your heart all the time. And that is, you've got this terrible thing inside of you that's like, hey, man, you should absolutely do that terrible thing, right? And that is what the flesh desires. It's producing desires in you. But then the Holy Spirit, who was given to us by Jesus, is a counselor. I love that imagery. You have a built-in counselor, someone who gives you wisdom, guidance, and direction. And the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 don't listen to this. And I'll tell you why in a second. Don't listen to this because the desires are contrary to what I want for your life. So we all have two things warring inside of us all the time, sometimes louder 
sometimes softer, but two things constantly producing desires inside of us, the Holy Spirit and the flesh. But this is God. This is just the broken down remnant of my old broken sinful self. And I think this is powerless compared to this, so I'm going to choose the Holy Spirit. And that's for us the choice that we make constantly as believers. We get to make the choice between will I listen to the flesh and walk in the, in, in, in the flesh or will I listen to the Holy Spirit who has good desires for my life? But remember, they are not able to be reconciled. You can't put these things together. You can't rationalize them together. They are in conflict with each other. They are hateful towards one another so that you are not to do what you want. But if you are led by the Holy Spirit, you are not under the law. That last part, what does it mean? Like, if you're led by the Holy Spirit, you're not under the law. Well, it simply means this. If my whole life is walking with God, no one has to come along and say, hey, Mike, tell people the truth. Why? The Holy Spirit guides me in those things. Like, if I'm tempted to not say something right, the Lord's like, hey, man, you know, think about it. You're going to mess up your ministry. You're going to shame your family. It's not, going to, it's not worth it. Don't walk in the ways of the flesh. Walk in the ways of the Spirit. Nobody has to tell me on Tuesday morning, hey, are you going to be faithful to your wife today? Is this an option? No, it's not even an option. Why? Because I walk in the Spirit. I don't do all of that perfectly. I'm like, Paul, at seasons, I'm like, whoa, what's going on? And then other times, dead on, just like you. So, verse 18 Romans 18, for I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Look at this, for I know that the good itself does not dwell in me. He's not saying that there's nothing good that dwells in you, by the way. Even the concept, even the theological idea, total depravity doesn't say that. It simply says that every part of us has been touched by sin. My brain, touched by sin. My heart, emotions, touched by sin. My will, the ability to choose things, touched by sin. They're not as bad as they could be, but they have all been touched by sin. For I know that itself, that good itself does not dwell in me. If it stopped right there, then there'd be nothing good inside of us, but just that. But he qualifies it. That is in my sinful nature. So now see what he's saying. In my sinful nature, there's nothing good. So when I choose to gratify the flesh, which is my sinful nature, if I choose to gratify my flesh and walk away from the spirit, you need to know you're bringing nothing good into your life. Nothing good. Am I feel good for the moment? But the consequences and the natural outcomes are to bring drama, terrible pain into your life. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. At times, Paul says, I just feel like I know that I want to do the right thing, but for some reason, I don't always follow through on it. And he doesn't give us a directive here. He doesn't say, here's how you fix that. So what is Paul saying right now? He's saying, we can set goals, we can do those things, we can accomplish them, but at the end of the day, I can't carry it out by myself. In fact, there is a kind of good that does, that does dwell inside of Paul, and it dwells inside of you as well, inside of all of us. It is in his desires. He says that he desires to do the good, right? He says he desires to do the good, for I have the desire to do what is good. Where does that come from? It comes from God himself, and it's the image of God inside of you. Listen, the reason why we desire to do things the way God wants us to do them sometimes, partly because the Holy Spirit nudges us in that direction, but partly the way that we're created. You were, and, and guys, especially if you're not religious here, and you're just listening, you, regardless of whether you're religious, you were created to look like God. You were created to reflect his character and his nature. 
So when you find the rules in the Bible, rules like don't lie, this is the reason why they exist. Not because God's a cosmic killjoy and he just makes up random rules that he wants his people to follow. It's because God looks down at us and he says, hey, you're supposed to look like me. Hey, by the way, I will never lie to you. I'm 100% trustworthy. You can always count on me all the time. And so when I look down from heaven and I see my people, I want them to look like me. And when other people see my people, I want them to be able to look at my people and say, yeah, they don't lie because they're Christians, because Christians look like the Father. You know what disappoints us as parents more than anything? It's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not when our kids mess up or do whatever. It's when our kids, and this, we have to like discipline ourselves not to discipline in this way, but it's just, it's a natural weakness in almost all parenting. When we look at a kid and we go, man, you just messed up in a big way that makes me look terrible. Why? Because they're little versions of us. And when other people look at us, they go, oh, look at those little versions of them, you know? <laughs> and if they embarrass you, you get mad. The father doesn't do that. He looks down. He goes, I want better things for you. I want you to look like me. I want you to trust me with your life, right? And so he gives us this thing. He says, listen, I want you to reflect back to me my character. And so when God looks down from heaven, regardless of right now if you're in active rebellion or you're that other person who just needs to be encouraged, hey, stick with it. It's going to be okay. God will meet you where you are right now, even if you're not getting victory right now. He will meet you there. The Lord looks down from heaven, and he sees us in obedience in those moments, and he goes, hey, that's my girl. Why? Because she's trying really hard at the moment, and she's failing, but I'm going to do something, and in my perfect timing, I'm going to come in, and I'm going to make her whole again. He looks down, and he sees you walking with the Spirit, and he sees himself, and he's joyful. There's a great quote by a guy named Thomas Merton I'm going to tell you about in a moment. Um, But uh, years ago, I was in Indiana. I was a pastor in Indiana, and then the Lord freed me. Um, And uh, I was with a friend of mine, and uh, we were in a plane. He has a plane and and, uh, has a turbo prop, two two props, and we were flying uh, through this cornfield in Indiana, and we were just moving. I mean, we were fast. When you're 200 feet off the ground, it just seems like you're right, you know, right there. And so we're just flying along the cornfields, and it was awesome. We were having a great time. And uh, he says to me, he goes, hey, Mike, he goes, you want to go vertical? And, and you just need to know, I hate stuff like that. I don't like roller coasters. I just genuinely don't like it. And so, so um, he says, hey, Mike, you want to you wanna go vertical? And, uh, and, and in my head, uh, like my brain said, hell no. Like, no, no. But because I'm a guy, I was like, yeah, man. And so, so he goes, whoosh, like this. And we go, whoosh, like the end. Man, it was all I could do not to start crying and screaming at the same time. But we got up and, and we got to the high part. And he's just, he's like, he levels it out. He says, you want to take the, the controls? And I was like, absolutely, because he had controls here and controls here. And if you're a pilot, you know what this thing is. I don't know what it's called. But anyway, I grabbed a hold of this plane and you could feel it. You could kind of move it. It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. And he said, hey, I want you to look at the dashboard. And I want you to see there's two lines. They go like this, right? He says, I want you to keep the plane between those two things. There's a little picture of a plane, right? I just want you to keep them between these two lines. See, I didn't know that when he got in the plane, he typed in a destination point, what airport we were going to land at. And as long as I kept the plane between those two lines, I was going to arrive exactly where the pilot wanted me to arrive. The Father's created your life in very much the same way. If you stay between those lines, there is exactly the place where God wants you to arrive, and you will arrive there. 
Sometimes the beauty of the gospel, though, is sometimes you get outside the lines. When I'm flying, this is one of the things I discovered. You can stay within the lines, but you do a lot of this right outside the lines and right back in the lines and right back outside the lines. You just continue to stay between the lines as much as you can. And then there are times where you get outside the lines, you're like, whoa, and then you get back in. And it will eventually lead you to exactly where you need to be. And that's what we're talking about. Paul's like, I I just, you know, for I know the good itself does not dwell in me. Like, I don't have that in me. It's, 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 it's. My sinful nature messes it up. But I have the desire to do what's good. I want to stay between those lines. I want to do what's right. And he concludes it like this in verse 24. I want you to see this verse. And this is not how he ends his life. This is not his final story, but he says this. This is what we need to come to, to surrender. What a wretched man I, I am. What a wretched man I am. Who's going to rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Like, how am I going to get out of this? Verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus our Lord. He's coming for you. He loves you. Keep your life within the lines. And when you find yourself outside the lines, keep pressing ahead. He's with you. He loves you. All he wants is for you you to look like him because in that place, there's beauty and goodness and love. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray right now for those in the room that need conviction. I ask the Holy Spirit that he would just fall on them right now. They have rationalized and justified and lied to themselves and others for a long time just to try to get through because they know what it's like to experience the consequences of living outside the boundaries of God and so Father I pray that you would turn their heart around instead of experiencing the terrible consequences that are coming for them I ask God instead that you would turn them around right now that they would hear this message and be changed and for those God who know that their life doesn't match up with what the Bible teaches and they trust what the scriptures teach. I pray that you give them peace, a peace that passes all understanding, that there is no shame and guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. We've been set free. We are not slaves to sin. We have moments and we have seasons where things are hard to understand. But God, you are with us even in those seasons. Father, fill us with what is necessary for us to take our next step so that on the other side of that, we may have a better and deeper relationship with you and with the world around us. And we can find what you called the blessed life. It's in your name we pray, amen.